there. You're listening to One Person's Trash is Our Treasure. I'm your host, Rachel. And I'm your other host, Jen. It's been a while. Yeah, it has. <laughs> we're back from hiatus. And today we're going to talk about one of my favorite books of all time. And now it's one of mine, too. <laughs> it's The Last Hour of Gone by Arlie Smith. Part of a topic of the episode is uh, what genre is it? But let's just go with alien romance. Yeah. So this is a phenomenal book. I highly recommend it. It's absolutely breathtaking. Super evocative imagery, heart-wrenching prose, fascinating characters with different voices. I mean, it's... In an amazing world. Yeah, it's 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 really, really amazing. Uh, however, you know, we just wanted to make sure that all of our listeners were aware that if you are sensitive to violence against women or rape or anything in books, this isn't going to be the book for you no and probably this episode won't be for you either because we do talk about it yeah so um that's just a general warning Mm -hmm. that being said we still highly recommend the book yeah we go into kind of the messaging of the book and um it's it's really long (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's another warning but it's it's worth it Mm-hmm. And if it's something you feel like you have an interest in, then then we really recommend reading the book. Mm-hmm. You can get it on Amazon for Kindle. If you would like to find us on social media, you can find us on our Twitter at Optiat, that's O-P-T-I-O-T, and on Instagram at Optiat Pod. And you can also find us on our website, One Person's Trash is Our Treasure dot com. <laughs> Welcome back from hiatus, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, we will get into it. Enjoy. So you finally finished the book, Jen. (laughs) You finally finished it. Well, okay. (laughs) Over a year later. Um, I did. Okay. I know that I have a problem, specifically with, like, finishing books. Like, I will read most of a book... I do this with video games, too. Mm -hmm. And I, like, right before I finish the book or the video game or whatever, I, like, don't. (laughs) No, I I get it. I totally do that with video games and some books, too. Yeah. But um, I'm proud of you, though. This This book is a mountain. This book is fucking crazy long. Yeah. This book is, like, 100 pages shy of War and Peace long. Yeah. It has something like 1,100 pages in it. And it's... Crazy. Like, when you finish it, you feel like you've been reading it for 10 years. Yeah, it's a journey of a book. So we're going to talk to you today, dear listener, about The Last Hour of Gone by Arlie Smith. And we're real excited about it. We are. This is an episode that I have been wanting to do since before our podcast was a podcast. Mm -hmm. So The Last Hour of Gone by Arlie Smith is... A book about our our heroine named Amber Bierce, who lives on Earth, Mm -hmm. and things are not going well for Amber Bierce or for humans, Mm -hmm. it doesn't seem. There's a lot of pollution everywhere. A lot of poverty. Mm Mm-hmm. There isn't a lot of choices for people. They are kind of, like, stuck Mm -hmm. where they are. Like, now. (laughs) Yeah. Like, there are wage caps Mm -hmm. for whatever social class you happen to be in or whatever level of education you have. So, if you haven't been to college, you can only earn so much money per year. And that amount of money is not enough to actually support a person. 
And it seems like it's kind of set up this way to reduce lower class people into voluntary slavery almost, where you end up having to live in like kind of a workhouse just to survive and Mm -hmm. like pay off your bills and everything. Yeah. So she lives in an apartment with her mother and her younger sister named Nikki. Her mother, does she work as a prostitute? She's legally registered. Like it's a thing now in the society where... If you're a prostitute, you have to be, like, legally registered. I believe she is employed by the state, even. Yeah. Because she, like, is monitored by the state as far as... Health. Yeah. Yeah. Great job they did. It kind of reminds me almost of the darker version of the companions from Firefly. Mm. Mm-hmm. How, like, you know, you're registered and it's, it's like, a, a legit job. Right. Prostitution. But, but in this one, it's smokescreened as a legit job, but it's really just another way to keep people in their place. Mm-hmm. So that's what her mom does. For Amber's whole life, her mom has been a prostitute. And she is also an alcoholic, I think. Drugs and alcohol. Drugs and alcohol. And Amber has to pretty much take care of both her mother and her sister. So when her mother dies... Her mother was the only reason that they had the apartment that they had. So without that, they would pretty much be forced into these workhouses. Mm -hmm. Unless one of them, like, became a prostitute, which Amber doesn't want to happen. So she hears about this program, the space program that's happening, where they're looking for volunteers to go on a maiden voyage to attempt to settle another planet. Mm Mm-hmm. Paid for by this, like, private company, I think. Yeah. (laughs) Of course. Her sister doesn't want to go, and Amber really kind of has to push her into it. And she's not exactly nice about it. However, Amber is overweight, and at first they won't let her go because she's too big. So she actually goes to a drug dealer named the Candyman, who... Like, my favorite character in the entire book. I know. (laughs) Who her mother used to visit often. So he knows her. And he gives her a drug that helps her lose a large amount of weight very quickly. So that she can be able to go on this maiden voyage. The day arrives, they get all set up in their their sleeper cells. Because they're going to have to be asleep for most of the voyage. Because it's very, very far away. She has a nasty encounter with one of the um, commanding officers. Or no, one of the low-ranking officers. Yeah, I was just about to say, he nothing. He was an usher. Basically, yeah. His name is Everly Scott. Prepare to hate that name. Prepare to hear me (laughs) yell. He's awful. He's the Joffrey of this book. She has an encounter with him. It's really shitty, but Amber kind of passes it off as, you know, there's going to be thousands upon thousands of people on this colony planet. Yeah, I won't have to deal with him, whatever. I'll never deal with him again. (laughs) Foreshadowing. Um, (laughs) So they go to sleep. They go to sleep. In their little pods. And then in like a paragraph... The narrator, because this is in third person, the narrator describes how the ship is, you know, off on its on its voyage. And then two months in, they hit an asteroid belt and the ship just kind of drifts. It gets broken and then it drifts for 200 years. 200 years. <laughs> <laughs> Literally one paragraph. <laughs> yeah. The beginning yeah. of the book is amazing. And I said this in our last episode, but like Arlie Smith props to her for everything. We're going to talk about her. But for creating a futuristic world with laws and government and societal structure and all of that, and then throwing it out. Just completely, like, throwing it in the garbage. Mm -hmm. 
Holy shit. Because, you know, I mean, as I said, this is all before the main action of the book happens and you find out that they've been floating in space for 200 years. It's not really a spoiler to say that they're not going to get back to Earth. Although I had no idea what was coming when I read it for the first time. And when I read that one paragraph, I was like, holy shit. Yeah, she really does just throw it away. Yeah, it's really effective. The, the beginning is so interesting and it's full of life. It's very immersive. Yeah. yeah. And you get so sucked into it so quickly. I don't remember the last time I got that sucked into a book in the very beginning, probably in high school. Yeah. Because it's like even the crash. Again, it's one paragraph where she describes what happens. And then they just like wake up screaming. And it's like... <laughs> But it's like the brevity with which she describes all of that is like really powerful mm-hmm. and impressive. So they wake up screaming. Um, <laughs> Amber wakes up. She hears people screaming. Uh, they realize the ship has crashed. Most people, most of the passengers, um, their part of the ship blew up. There's still like over a thousand people alive, though, because there were so many people altogether and including like children. Like there are literal like families who are planning to start their lives on this new colony planet. But the majority of the ship just blows up. Yeah. So a few other people, including you remember that asshole, Scott, he agrees that they should get away from the ship. (laughs) Fucking dick face. Yep. And a bunch of other people. I think it's like around 30, maybe. Mm. Like 30-ish people. Something like that. It's yeah. not like a large group. Yeah, they they all go away from the ship. That night, the ship explodes. <laughs> killing every other person who survived other than the 30 people who distanced themselves from it. Thus begins their trek into the the void of uncertainty that is this world. They don't know if there is life on this world. They don't know what to expect. They don't know how they're going to survive. Yeah, to clarify, they did not crash land on the planet they were supposed to go to. <laughs> no. So from there, we get the perspective of our uh, second protagonist, Mirak, the lizard man, <laughs> who you will see on the cover of this book. Oh, Mirak. What you learn about him pretty quickly is that he is a warrior priest. He is of the highest caste of his society. It's a very, very tightly structured caste society. And he is at the top, as I said. His world is dictated by a very strict religion. And their their god is called Shul. I always said Shul. Shul in my head. We'll never know. We'll never know. So Shul or Shul, as Jen says... He's God, basically. Mm-hmm. And Mirak, who, because he is of the highest caste of his society, kind of has an arrogance about him that is at once frustrating to the reader, but kind of understandable within the context, because that's just how his world is. Like, he isn't, he doesn't just act arrogant. Like, everyone treats him as if he is above them anyway. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And his dad just died. And so he, before returning home to become a domestic person. Yeah, to take over, <laughs> take, take over for his father as, like, the head of his house. He wants to go on one last pilgrimage. And he wants to go to the religious city of Jimatez, which is kind of this famed city where the whole religion started. There's a lot of mystery surrounding it. It's very far away. This society, by the way, is very medieval. So you have to travel everywhere on foot. So Mirak sees an explosion in the distance and thinks that God put that there for him to go toward it. And, and, thus, <laughs> and thus begins his travels. Oh my god. I I remember when when I was reading this for the first time and I was texting you during this part. I was like, Jesus Christ. Like, 
I didn't like Mirak in the beginning. I know you did because you because you kind of don't. Yeah, he's a shit, and, and it's it's a culture shock. Yes, absolutely. You know? Yeah, yeah. Because Arlie Smith throws away the human society and culture and all that, and then builds up. Doesn't even build up. Drops you into. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Once again, it's third person, but you are seeing everything like basically through Mirok's eyes. Mm-hmm. So the narrator doesn't take the time to explain everything going on. You just have to like experience it and try to pick up clues from the context. Yeah, I actually had a hard time at first. Yeah, I know. It can be overwhelming. and Especially because there are all these alien words. Yeah. <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so he he's righteous and he is prideful. Word. And he is arrogant, arrogant, narcissistic, narcissistic, <laughs> all the makings of a great love interest. Oh, man. But he's also lonely. Yeah. He's lonely and he's thoughtful and he's kind of restless and kind of has a, a, a bit of a wanderlust and like an aimlessness to him. Arlie Smith's writing. I mean, Arlie Smith's writing is amazing. Mm-hmm. But like the way she crafts characters and lets you know kind of what they're thinking and how they feel indirectly is really astonishing. You get so much from him and you don't like him at first, but there is like, in- you're interested. Mm-hmm. Like he's You're a- invested. Yeah, yeah. He's, he is a really interesting character because he does have these like more vulnerable facets to him. Mm-hmm. Like we see that when he visits who he considers to be his brother. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting and makes you invested in the character immediately. Despite the fact that he is so self-centered, he believes a giant explosion <laughs> was a sign from God specifically for him. Yeah. And only him. Yeah. Not only that, but like, you know, within a couple chapters of his first entrance into the book... He rapes a woman. Yeah. Like, <laughs> okay, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's dubious consent, at least, you know? Yes. <laughs> Which, it's so tough because, like, we know stuff that, like, exactly spoilery stuff. Do you remember <sighs> when I was telling you about this book and I said that, you know, like, this is a really fascinating world where the women are treated like furniture? I do. But <laughs> it all makes sense by the end. <laughs> well, I remember when you were reading it for the first time and that was, like, the the thing that always stuck with me. And I thought of it several times while I was reading the book. The women are treated like furniture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is, like, a weird way to try to sell a book. But it all makes sense at the end. <laughs> yeah, kind of. It is. It is dubious consent. It is. It did make me very uncomfortable, mm-hmm. especially because it was the hero. Yeah. The guy that we are supposed to want to be with our heroine. And should you continue with continue with the book, you have to be prepared to not necessarily forgive him, but like make peace with that. Like mm-hmm. c- come to terms with like, this is the hero. This is what he did. Mm-hmm. What he does all the time. Yeah. Because it's a part of his society. Yeah. For context, the way trials work in his society, these warrior priests, Shulek or Shulek or however you want to say it, they are kind of like called to the city and asked to fight. And they kind of go into these like barbarian rages and um, <laughs> black out and fight. And whoever the victor is, whoever, whichever side they represent, that was who the innocent party is. Mm-hmm. Because um, the, the, the fires of Shul, their god, uh, possesses them mm-hmm. and the outcome will always be correct because it's God telling them the outcome. Exactly. And then afterward, the the victor is given a virgin. 
the the <laughs> who is who is usually like a high ranking official's daughter because Mirak what he is is called a shulek because they are the like highest ranking member of society they pretty much get given women like whenever they want mm-hmm. which is like makes me really uncomfortable mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's and yet it all makes sense by the end oh yeah <laughs> so Mirak goes after this explosion, which is meant for him. And only him. <laughs> and, of course, he encounters our humans who are struggling in this really rough alien terrain. He is the first sentient being they come across. And what's really great is you get Mirak's perspective when he first encounters them, which was really interesting to oh, read. Oh, God, yes! Because most alien romance... Wouldn't you say that most alien romance novels would do it from the human's perspective, describing the alien? Yeah. Yeah. This one doesn't do that. Yeah. For, <laughs> you know, and that that happens for obvious reason when it's from, from the human's perspective, because it's an alien. We want to know what he looks like, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And then this book is just like, fuck it. Because Mirak isn't going to describe what he looks like. Yeah. We don't really get that until later. Yeah. Which is so interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, like Mirak talks about all these features, like his his um spines or whatever, like perking up whenever he's angry or whatever. And I'm still a little unsure what they look like. Me too. And you know <laughs> what like i'm cool with it yeah exactly it's just so it's so interesting anyway mirak decides that god sent these weird non people to him because as far as he he's concerned they're like ugly mutant monsters Mm -hmm. (laughs) that god sent him specifically to test him and he is going to bring them to this sacred city with him on his pilgrimage and yeah that that's kind of what our what our story is Mm -hmm. yeah Hey, so I wouldn't recommend this book to everybody. No, and for a few reasons. (laughs) Yes, yeah, yeah. But if it sounds like the kind of thing that you would be interested in with all of our caveats and trigger warnings and... If you're very sensitive to violence against women, this is not going to be the book for you. Even getting past what happens in the beginning with Mirak. It just gets worse from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, not with Mirak. No, no. Yeah, that that and that would maybe be important to mention just for like a like a trigger yeah. warning reasons. It, Mirak is a good person in this world. Yeah. yeah, and he grows a lot, and there is not really that concern. Like you don't need to be concerned about that with him. Totally, absolutely, you absolutely. Know, for the rest of the book, it's everyone else. Yes, literally. <laughs> Literally everyone else. <laughs> uh, so if that's if that's hard, then then this might not be for you. But if if it sounds like something that you might be interested in, we do urge you to read it. We both really love this book. It's one of the best books I have ever read, hands down. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that. It really no, is. No, absolutely. You know, even rereading it, I was like knowing everything. I'm still blown away. I can't imagine rereading it knowing everything. But I I want to, but it's so long, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, give it a year. Give yourself a year. Yeah, yeah, probably wise. (laughs) Yeah. But also, it's it's just a mountain of a book, and yeah. that might not be for everybody, you totally. know? I would not want anyone to read this book if they couldn't finish it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, like, that's if- a good... <laughs> that's actually a really good thing to say. I, I agree with that 100%. But also know that this is a breathtaking book to really get the experience of this book yeah 
you have to finish it. Take Jen's word for it. She just read it and I have been saying this to her for like years and I don't think, even though she tried to prepare herself, I'm sure she, even she couldn't have been prepared no. to know, to understand what that means until she finished it. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So we continue into spoiler zone. Yes. Bye, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Or hi, everybody, because you maybe you're not going to read the book. (laughs) Yeah. So now we can say whatever we want. Yep. It feels freeing and awful. Scott doesn't die until like the last page. Oh, my God. Do we want to talk about Scott first? Because (laughs) I am dying. Maybe we should let you get it out of your system. Maybe we should. Holy fucking shit. Okay, so Scott, this piece of human garbage who was, again, a ticket collector Mm -hmm. aboard the ship, puts himself in charge of the remaining survivors. And the other remaining survivors, being scared and unsure, kind of flock to the idea of a a dominant leader. And things just get worse from there. Oh my god, so much worse. He is the last person you want in charge when things are shitty. When Rachel said that he was the Joffrey of this book, she was not exaggerating. He's worse than Dolores Umbridge. Oh yeah. He's the fucking worst. He's awful. I, oh my god. I can barely get through some parts with him. He's literally a maniac. Especially by the end, yeah. I, like, I think he genuinely goes crazy at some point. Like, oh, he, yeah. he must. And I feel like it's actually earlier on than, like, you would suspect. Because oh, yeah. he is a fucking madman. And Scott is really bad. But maybe the most infuriating part about the entire situation is that literally everybody else goes along with him. Mm-hmm. Amber is the only voice of reason in their group. And she becomes the scapegoat. Uh, yeah. group. It gets so bad that Scott starts taking away her food rations, mm-hmm. saying that because she's overweight, she doesn't need as much food as everyone Which, else. Which, by the way, I think Rachel and I both really love this part of this aspect of her character. She is overweight in the beginning when the book starts. And then she takes the thing to make her lose weight. So whatever. Just he is taking away her. He's he's starving. He starves her. He attempts yeah. to literally starve her. Yeah. You might be thinking, where's Amber's sister in all this? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, She's a coward, and a lot of people hate Nikki as much or more than Scott, from what I've read, just because of how passive she gets. Nikki doesn't stand up for Amber at all. She would much rather go with the crowd. At one point, it seems like she, like, likes Scott. Mm -hmm. And she'll say, like, really nasty things to Amber, like, everything Scott says about you is true, and, like really shitty things. She really blames Amber for putting her in the situation that she, that they end up in. Yeah. Which I understand, honestly. I know that we have different perspectives. I really do feel like Amber kind of forced and bullied Nikki into it because I think that Amber needs to take care of Nikki to feel good about herself. I don't think you're wrong. I, I agree with that. But it's totally gray for me. I understand where Nikki's coming from with her resentment and bitterness. But also... Amber didn't know the ship was going to crash. Amber thought she was doing the best she could to help them have a life. Yeah. Instead of staying in the awful situation they were about to be forced into on Earth. Mm -hmm. And Nikki goes on and on about, aren't you supposed to take care of me? You're supposed to take care of me. Are you going to take care of me? That's what Amber thought she was doing. For Nikki to get mad at Amber for things that were out of Amber's control because Amber was trying to take care of Nikki, which is what Nikki wants, Mm -hmm. is ridiculous. Yeah. They have a really unhealthy codependent relationship. (laughs) (laughs) 
understatement. You know, um, not only does Amber maybe do some things that are somewhat unkind regarding Nikki, where she, like, kind of isn't very nice to her, but she also lets Nikki treat her terribly. Yeah, yeah. Um, Nikki walks all over Amber, and she does it on purpose. But we're not talking about Nikki right now. We're talking about Scott. That's true, that's true. Let's go back to Scott. So, the real villain in this book... I don't know that I've ever hated a character so much in my entire life. Like, I I hate him. He is the one that starts the rumor, I think, probably first, that Mirak and Amber are fucking way before either of them even have thoughts about each other in that way. Maybe not way before, but, like, okay. Like, they aren't. (laughs) Yeah, before it's even really at a point where it could happen. Yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. But it's Amber's job to learn Mirak's language. Mm -hmm. But Amber can't do anything right. She's not learning it fast enough. She's not communicating well enough. Scott's the worst. He literally murders people. He doesn't die a painful enough death, in my opinion. Oh my god, I... Okay. (laughs) You can't help but be disappointed, despite the, like, thematic resonance (laughs) you can't help but be disappointed yeah well not to mention the fact that they fake you out like twice yeah true because they make you think that he's dead and i remember i I was like oh he's dead fuck god damn he got an off-screen death and i'm so fucking angry about it because there there wouldn't have been a painful enough death for me for scott i know I wanted him to die, and I wanted it to be slow and painful. And the worst things that happen to him happen off screen, so you don't even get to enjoy it. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's really awful. My favorite, favorite, favorite line about him was um, at the very end when the guy, is said, you really are a shining drop of poison shit, aren't you? <laughs> I was like, yeah, he is. Yeah. I just hate Scott so much. I'm sorry. I just, I could yell and yell and yell. I I hate him. He literally is like Joffrey. I have a hard time thinking of any other character as awful. So I think we should dive right into one of our topics. Mm -hmm. So a big theme of the book is hashtag the patriarchy. The the lizard people, the aliens are called the Dumac. Mm -hmm. The Dumac culture is... A total commentary for the patriarchy and for rape culture. The Dumaki culture is definitely a parallel for the earth that Arlie Smith first described. Mm-hmm. For a number of reasons, there's, you know, the fact that it's getting overpopulated and polluted and, you mm-hmm. know, technology and blah, blah, blah. I want to say for um, people who haven't read the book, that's not obvious at first. No, it's not. But also in the fact that you get the sense in the beginning that women are really getting hit the hardest in this earth that she's created, you know, like how prostitution is the only path for lower income women that can allow them to actually pay their bills. And if you're a prostitute, you get forcibly spayed. Yeah. (laughs) You know, they they literally just cut your uterus out without your consent. Mm -hmm. And in the Dumat culture, as Jen said, it's not totally apparent at first that there's this parallel going on. It's almost foreshadowing. Yeah. 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 That's a good way of putting it because in this society, we've already said that, you know, the women are furniture, basically. Mm -hmm. They are tucked away into invisible parts of the house where no one else can see them. They are only brought out to have sex (laughs) with these warrior priests, you know, like, Mm -hmm. like Mirak and... 
they're there to make babies. Yeah. And, as and far as marriage goes, uh, men are given a woman mm-hmm. based on status. It's really interesting in human cultures, for the most part, virginity is something that is like highly coveted almost in our world. Um, it doesn't seem to be that way in Dumas culture, though. It appears instead that fertility is what is coveted, which is explained at the end. Yeah. So that's why Mirak is like given virgins who he gets to fuck and if they get pregnant that's good that's a good thing mm-hmm. and then if they are get, get if they get pregnant that is a sign that they are a marriageable prospect for other men once you have context for the entire book it really does change the whole thing once you have the full context and it's, so it's really hard to like go back to the place of talking about it without that context mm-hmm. not that without the context of the ending of the book it's still really fascinating so what you learn about the Dumak and their culture is that they weren't always like this. Mm-hmm. They have ancestors who they refer to as the ancients who lived in these cities with these machines that are now completely forbidden by their religion. And there's a lot that's forbidden by their religion. <laughs> yeah. These cities are highly advanced. Mm-hmm. You know, they are basically like modern day Earth, if not more advanced. You yeah. Know? Like little robots that roll around and clean for you and, you know, like advertisements. We have those. Yeah. Roombas. <laughs> and <laughs> advertisements that pop up when you go by them. We mm-hmm. have those too. Yes, we do. <laughs> it seems very similar to modern day Earth. And you have no idea what happened and why their society is so medieval. And so different from the way that it was. Like, they were marketing sex everywhere. Yeah. Uh, You really get the feeling, like, something happened. Something, I mean, something obviously happened that was big, and it changed their entire planet. And they don't talk about it ever. Mm -hmm. They don't know about it. And they don't really care to, because it's forbidden. And the ancients were... Their immorality unleashed the wrath of Shul, as far as they know. Yeah. In the human group you see patriarchal structure happening and taking place too scott designates a couple of the dudes as his like commanding officers because that's the type of piece of shit he is and his commanding officers get tense because they have very limited resources and what what ends up happening is scott's first in command dudes are pretty much the only ones with tents and basically they trade sex with the women for the like privilege of sleeping in a tent which on this planet where it rains most of the time and they they only have these like tiny little tin foil blankets like shock blankets yeah that's not really much of a choice yeah for i mean a lot of these women amber gets propositioned like more than once like i'll give you like i think at one point when she's being starved one of them says to her, I'll give you part of my rations. Mm-hmm. It's really fucked up. And like these three guys, at first you have hope that they're going to be halfway decent at least. Mm-hmm. They really get corrupted by the situation they're in really quickly. Yeah, everyone does. Except yeah. for Amber, which is fascinating. And I think, you know, this kind of segues a little bit into humanity. It's interesting how when brought to this situation where there are no laws and there's no structure, this patriarchal hierarchy develops and these women are kind of dependent on these men, not because the men are the ones supplying things, but because they kind of came with those 
values already somewhat ingrained in their minds and Mm -hmm, they kind of just took control and I think it was just kind of natural that they fell into that. And here's the interesting thing. The men are not making their lives livable. Amber is the one who tries to do it. Amber is the one who's like, guys, we're running out of food. Let's go hunt some of these weird alien animals. Even before Mirak gets there, Amber is the one who is like trying to do things that will actually be helpful for their survival. Mm -hmm. But especially once Mirak gets there, who is their saving grace on this extremely hostile planet, he hunts for them and gets water for them and tracks for them and leads them through the terrain. Amber is the one who sees it as important to be able to communicate with him. Amber is the one who learns his language to to be able to do it. And Amber is the one who takes up some of his chores and learns how to do stuff like sewing boots and hunting for food and, you know, butchering animals. Nobody else fucking lifts a finger. Mm-hmm. And they all just expect it to happen, mm-hmm. which is the most infuriating part. Yeah. And they and they continue to hate her and think that she's like the worst and that she doesn't do anything and that and that she's fucking Mirak. <laughs> yeah. They come to that, I said this in the other episode, they come to that conclusion way too quickly. I know, it's weird. (laughs) Before we go any farther, if you are hesitant about reading this book and you're still listening... Maybe you should give it a try. Just, just if for no other reason than that, there, there's a, there's a lizard man who has a wet dream in this book, and doesn't that just sound like the best book ever? Also, you might learn something about yourself and your capacity to feel attracted to a lizard. Just learn something about Rachel. You didn't think he was sexy? I'm not saying that you're attracted to, like, the retractable dick. I'm no. his personality. <laughs> no, I know. I, I didn't, really. Really? I love him. That is interesting. But I didn't find him sexy. That is really interesting. Is it really? <laughs> it is, actually. Because even Felicia Day said he was sexy. No, I get where you're coming from. He's not my type of hero that I would be attracted to. There are definitely aspects of him that I love. Like, his sense of humor is very dry. Mm-hmm. I do love that about him. That's what gets me, I It think. doesn't come out as much as I think I would love it to. His insistence, and I know it's cultural, but his insistence on, like, protecting her and that kind of thing turns me off a little bit. In their society, literally, women are not allowed to behave certain ways. Mm-hmm. So he's he's quite literally never met a woman who behaves the way that Amber behaves because they're not allowed to. But I do think that he, well, he definitely likes it. That she's not like that? Yeah, that's obvious. Well, he, yeah, he says that several times. Yeah. That he hates women because of how all the women are our furniture in his society. Yeah, which is fucking insane. Like, none of the women in this book can win, which is, like, too real. Women have it so hard in this book. All of the women. The human women, the Numak women, everywhere. Even when things get so bad for everyone, it's Mm -hmm. always the worst for the females involved Mm -hmm. in this book. The things that happen to them. You know, it's kind of like the men break their fingers, the women all break their legs. For some context, all of the humans leave Amber and Mirak at one point, and they go off on their own. They disappear for a while. When Mirak and Amber find the humans again, they were being kept in basically a jail cell and being, like, (laughs) rented off as whores to the lizard people in that city, Uh, which sucks for everyone involved. But specifically for Nikki. Who is the only human woman left alive. And... She got knocked up by the aliens and they cut the baby out of her. So that happened. Yeah, that was really upsetting. Yeah. 
That might have fucked me up the most out of everything that happened in this book. Yeah, that was <laughs> uh, really horrendous. All of the other women in the group die. One of the women, Maria, who the entire book is fucking one of Scott's commanders. And you know, sex tends to lead to pregnancy. Which, you know what? Props to Arlie Smith, because I was wondering this whole book, like, how are none of them pregnant? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Maria gets pregnant, and Nikki tells Amber that... When it became clear that she was pregnant, even though Scott initially intended to, like, keep up with this whole manifest destiny thing on a colony planet, they decide that her being pregnant is too much of a burden. So they literally punch her uterus until she bleeds to death. For clarification, Scott and Maria's boyfriend are the ones who take turns punching her. Yeah. Maybe it makes me a broken person (laughs) that, um... I'm not someone who lauds gratuitous violence. I would never tell someone with a weak stomach to read this book. But it doesn't bother me in any sort of like social justice way because the context of the rest of the book puts everything in in this kind of context of being a commentary. And it's a woman writing a book exploring the ideas of patriarchy. And because I know that people have a problem with this book because of that. And like, I understand that. I just... (sighs) I don't think that we should rob women of their exploration of of those ideas and what 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 it means. Yeah, and how it would manifest in certain contexts. Yeah. No, I agree. I'm I'm not the type of person who is like down for a ton of needless violence in a book either. I I totally get it. It's just that I feel like the context is different when it's something like this. When it's a woman writing what is obviously just an entire metaphor for Mm -hmm. the shit women have to deal with. To go back to the humans and how even though they are like crash landed on this planet, they fall into this like patriarchal society. We're not to talking about the end of the book yet, but I'm going to reference it because I feel that it is important and I want to talk about this. I think it's so interesting that the wrath of gone which is what it's called when the ancients fell. The ancient Dumak culture fell. It was called the Wrath of Gon. And what it was, really, was just this, like, plague. It was biological warfare, basically. Basically, yeah. And it infected everybody mm-hmm. and made the men go entirely crazy. I believe the way it was explained was it kind of took your dominant sex hormone and just made it go over 9,000. Something like that. And because the dominant sex hormone is the same one that has to do with anger, it's like a bloodlust rage kind of. Yeah, like, like a rapey bloodlust rage. Yeah. <laughs> um, and women, I believe it said, just got really, like, depressed and, like... Women become very depressed and lethargic. Mm -hmm. So that explains some of the culture that the Dumak have, where the women, you know, act the way that they act and the men act the way that they act. What I think is really interesting is when the humans left, they got this super shot that made them supposedly immune to any alien disease that could possibly attempt to infect them. Mm -hmm. And apparently it worked because that is how it's explained that they can get pregnant by the Dumak. So if we assume that that vaccine works and protects the humans against the plague Mm -hmm. that is still present in the air when the book is happening. Yeah. It's really interesting to me that the roles of the men and women in the fucking human encampment are that of the people who are suffering from the wrath of God. Mm-hmm. That's fucking crazy. 
what does that say about our culture that a virus that makes the men as violent as they could possibly make it mm-hmm. and depresses and subdues the women? The humans are immune to it. And that's still fucking how they act because they're socialized too. Exactly. That I thought that was really interesting and really crazy. Fuck humans. I know. I mean, we've said it before. We'll say it again. Good sci-fi is about humanity. Yes, exactly. And Arlie Smith really nails it on the head, I think. Absolutely. Let's talk about romance. Let's do it. <laughs> so this is a really romantic book, guys. <laughs> Have you noticed? But no, for real? We've gone on and on about all the butterflies we've gotten from this book. No, but for real. I know. (laughs) It's hard to understand. And I couldn't explain it. If I tried. Yeah, this is the this is the fun part. Yeah. So I really want to explore this book from the context of traditional romance structure. I pretty avidly follow Arlie Smith's personal blog. And she said in either a blog post or an interview I read somewhere that she does not necessarily consider what she writes to be romance. She considers it horror erotica. <laughs> And I remember when you told me this for the first time, I was a quarter of the way through the book. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, Arlie Smith, I love you. You're fun. Okay. (laughs) Like, kind of like, you know, laughing it off, whatever. I I don't know. I hadn't gotten that far into the book. I don't know why I was so... Oh, hubris. Um, but I, <laughs> but I, I, I kind of laughed it off. And I got to a certain point in the book where Mirak and Amber are in um, some ruins of, of, the, of the ancient Dumak society. And they go underground into what must have been like an old facility. And they find mummified Dumak corpses mummified in place mid rage fucking and murdering yeah i and i honestly don't know how to describe it correct me if i'm wrong wasn't one of the mummies fucking the skull of another mummy you're correct yeah mm. that that part might have been the part that fucked me up the most in the entire book yeah uh and it might have some, might, something to do with the fact that when i read that part i was all alone in a giant house uh, <laughs> in the middle of the night while i was dog sitting so anyway, literally, I read that part and I texted you like in the middle of the night and I was like, okay, so remember that one time when you told me that Early Smith says that she doesn't yeah. write romance, she writes more erotica? Oh my God, she was right. Before we continue on to the romance aspect of it, I, I think this book is super romantic, but I'm inclined to like absolutely be on her side mm-hmm. because going back to our episode about Crimson Peak, where we discussed gothic novels and like the difference between horror and terror and everything and how like terror is jump scares horror is tension building and and situations that imply things rather Mm -hmm. than like and and that is absolutely what this book is if like especially from that point on the mummified corpses there is like a, a super tension in the air the entire rest of the book that is like, I felt like I was reading a horror novel mm-hmm. <laughs> that had romance in it, which I think is really fascinating. However, I do think it's a really romantic book. Please continue. I was just going to say that regardless of how Arlie Smith defines her book herself mm-hmm. or her her genre, it often gets kind of plugged as a romance. Sure. Yeah. You know, and I, I do think that there are genuinely romantic aspects to this book. I guess it's kind of up to your own discretion whether or not you find it erotic. 
Yeah. And I think it's interesting the ways that this book adheres to traditional romance structure and the ways that it doesn't. The ways that it doesn't. Bullet point them off for us right now. Feel free to interject. Okay. Uh, The length. Yes. (laughs) The world building. Mm. It's pretty rare to see world building this in depth in a romance because one, they're very short. Mm -hmm. And two, the focus is supposed to be on the romance. So there's just not as much time usually. The fact that Amber and Mirak do not have insta love. Mm -hmm. That's pretty common in romance. Mm -hmm. Not every, it's not in every romance, of course, but it's, it's definitely common. I wouldn't even say they have instant attraction. Nope. No way. Are you kidding? Yeah. <laughs> he calls her ugly. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's another thing. Mirok thinks Amber is ugly, and he explicitly calls her ugly many times. Even after he's in love with her. <laughs> By then, he's doing it affectionately. Totally, totally. He still thinks she looks super strange. Oh, this is so interesting to me from, like, an alien romance perspective, too. Mm -hmm. You see that a lot in alien romance, where it's always, like, the human woman is, like, the hottest thing the hero, the alien hero, has ever laid eyes on. Which is why in this, it's so interesting that Mia Rock is instantly, like, she's ugly. Mm -hmm. She chews like a cow. (laughs) Like, because the Dumak don't chew, they just break food apart with their tongues. And Amber, like, chews, and he calls her, like, a cow because of how she chews, which is, like, it should be offensive, but it's actually really endearing. It's really endearing. (laughs) Every time he, like, chuckles at her for her weird soft skin and her strange round face. And her human traits overall. It's cute, you know? Mm -hmm. Like. (laughs) It is cute. I really love it. And what's interesting to me is that he grows to love her, not in spite of, but because of her, like, ugliness. Mm -hmm. Like, he loves that about her. So later in the book, Amber gets wounded, and she gets an infection, and Mirak has to care for her. Basically, he finds some lizard heroin, and... is like feeding it to her to relieve her pain and everything. So he's like chewing it up and feeding it to her because she's unconscious. Mm -hmm. So he's getting high too. So he's getting high too. (laughs) So this entire scene, he's like high. Yeah. Amber's face seemed to soften, blurring into new lines only to throb itself back into sharp focus. His soft skin, his good woman, his wife. She was so unbelievably ugly. (laughs) (laughs) He started to laugh, choked on a mouthful of juice, (laughs) swallowed it, then laughed again because that was such a stupid thing to do. But a shoe lick doesn't make mistakes. Shul is always with him. So there. He spat some juice into Amber and swallowed another mouthful, deliberately this time, humming to himself as the colors began to shift around the air, but humming quietly because the other humans were sleeping and he was so nice. Amber would be proud of him. His ugly, (laughs) ugly Amber. I love your ugly face, he told her, then bent down to move his mouth parts against hers horrible unsanitary thing to do and it left her bleeding a little i love your ugly fur he said taking up many long damp strands and spilling them through his fingers amber shifted below him in the bed pushing more of the blanket away so that her bare chest was exposed (laughs) the sight attracted his eye and then his hand i love your ugly teats he mused (laughs) stroking at them (laughs) uh his hand moved up and i love your beautiful shoulders I just find that really romantic. I teared up just now. (laughs) Did you? Because I remember reading that part and Mm -hmm. I I did. I cried. Because when a relationship is done really well in this way, it's really hard to describe why. I would find it difficult to describe why Mirak and Amber are so painfully bittersweet to me. There, There were like several times when I just found myself leaking from my eyeballs because 
they were in love. And that was just so present. Well, for me, there's a part where Mirak makes fun of Amber's hair when she wakes up in the morning. Mm-hmm. And like they they just become so so like functional and domestic within their relationship despite the horrible circumstances they're in. They have kind of like a weirdly healthy relationship. They their, really their relationship do. should not be as healthy as it is. I know, it's so weird. Yeah. They're they're supportive of each other. They push each other when they need to be pushed. They disagree on things and they fight, but they still love each other and they understand their differences. Yeah, and accept each other for them. Just yeah. just like what I just read, even like the physical differences Mm -hmm. you know amber doesn't think mirak is repulsive in fact she thinks he is really cool looking Mm -hmm. you know she's fascinated by his appearance yeah um whereas mirak is just like you know (laughs) but also when he kisses her sometimes she bleeds because of his scales yeah so this is the most adorable thing i'd ever read Amber teaches Mirak how to kiss. I know. And he's like, this is dumb, but okay, you like it. And he just, he gets in, like, the habit of doing it. I know. So so at a certain point, he just, like, does it. And he's like, yeah. he, like, likes it? It just becomes, like, a habit. Like, you know, just like kissing does in a relationship. You yeah. know, it's, it's so very sweet, even though she pleads. In this horribly dark, depressing book, this is the beacon of light. There... <laughs> <laughs> That's sad. No, their relationship is a beacon of light. No, throughout. totally, totally. It's just even, it's sad because they don't spend a super amount of time together. Even before they get together, though, their interactions are the most delightful parts of the book. They're funny. They're poignant. They're soul wrenching. Sometimes, yes, absolutely. I want to bottle some of the feelings that this book gave me in like with a, their relationship. Yeah, yeah, in like a drug. Yeah, for real. <laughs> Which side? Sci-fi has taught me will go really well. (laughs) So I never finished my train of thought, but the ways that this book does adhere to traditional romance structure, the sex, the sex scenes, they're very explicit. The happily ever after. There is a happily ever after in this book. Spoiler. (laughs) No, you maybe they need to know that. Maybe, maybe, yeah. You know, Amber and Mirak get married and have a baby. And have a baby. The transformation of Mirak, mm-hmm. you know, that's the reforming of the rake. I don't know about how it adheres to traditional romance structure. And I also don't know how traditional romance structure adheres to the three-act structure, but this book does not adhere to the three-act structure. No, not no. at all. And I didn't, I like that. I, I enjoyed it, yeah. Yeah. It does feel like a romance novel in those ways. And I don't want to say the point of the book was Mirak and Amber's relationship, but it's a focal point. Totally. You know, you know it's going to happen. Yes. <laughs> like, it is never a mystery as to whether or not they're going to get together. Mm-hmm. You know? Will they, won't they? Yeah, they are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was just something that I thought about while reading. And I do think that if you are interested in reading books for like the romantic aspect, then this is worth it. It's more than worth it. It's a great romance. <laughs> do you want to know what I think might be the part that I found the most romantic? There is a part. It's not too long after the part that you were reading, actually. They're in this like hunting cave that they're they're hiding out in while Amber recovers from injuries she sustained because of Scott. And when she starts to recover from her injuries, they're in they're hanging out in this cave with Nikki and Scott's three commanding officers who have um, abandoned him and joined the ranks of Mirak. And Amber gets a little frisky with Mirak and they send the the other humans outside. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, they bone. And uh, I feel like it happens a couple times. But one of the times specifically that it happens, and this is super loaded, but she gives him a blowjob for the first time. It was her taking it back. But another reason that I loved it so much was that she makes a super, super clear and deliberate point of asking for his consent before she does it. Mm-hmm. And that stood out to me so hard because that's the only time that ever happens in this book, ever. And there's a lot of sex in this book, and that is the only time that ever happens, ever, ever, ever. Yeah. Not that uh, every time Amber and Merrick have sex, it's consensual. It's just that, like, yeah. she describes for him what she wants to do. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know what a blowjob is. They're lizards. <laughs> they don't have lips. <laughs> the uh. episode. <laughs> So it's not like the the Dumak women go around giving blowjobs, and, and it's also you get the impression probably frowned upon. Yeah, that it's that it's like <laughs> sinful or something. Yeah, but also I don't think they'd be able to with like their teeth and everything. So and it's so hard to describe out of context how that affected me, mm-hmm. but it just did. Like, this is a book with so much rape in it, and the way the women are treated, and the way Amber is treated. And the way the Dumak society works <laughs> and Amber and Mirak just have this very sweet moment where she makes sure she has his consent before she performs a sex act on him. Uh-huh. And it's not a fleeting moment. Like, they spend time on it. He prays about it because she she's like, I want to make sure it's okay with your God, too, because he's very religious. And they spend time on this. It's supposed to, like, I felt that it was supposed to stick out. And uh-huh. it made me absolutely sob. Mm-hmm. Because, like, this book is really rough and your light in the darkness is their relationship with so much awful shit that happened mm-hmm. <laughs> leading up to this point. And there's, then there's just, like, this really painfully bittersweet moment that's super loaded but, like, and really meaningful. And I felt that that was really powerful. Mm-hmm. Their relationship never ceases to be wonderful there is never like a stupid misunderstanding that drives them apart (laughs) which like thank fucking god yeah the other things that drive them apart are not great but you know they always love each other and there is never any doubt there yes (laughs) so what's interesting about this book is religion is a focal point it comes into play a lot and um it's the dumak who are in this like super religious society So you learn all about their religion and how they have these rules, like how men who were not born into the warrior's caste are not allowed to wield bladed knives. Mm -hmm. And we've already gone into, like, the trials that happen. But we also hear about some of the lore of the religion. Mm -hmm. And Mirak, at one point when he's leading the humans through the wilderness, he sits them down and tells them the story of his religion, which they snicker at because it seems really similar to Christianity mm-hmm. <laughs> because there's a prophet, yep. Lashrak, and then he has basically what are, were his apostles. <laughs> and one of the humans are like, were there 12 of them? <laughs> yeah. And so it's hugely important to Mirak. There are so many times when he has to like pray on stuff. Because of his status, he is an authority figure on the religion. Mm-hmm. This religion goes so far as language is dictated by what is in their Bible. Yeah. He will not say Amber's name out loud because it's not a word that exists in his Bible. <laughs> when I was reading it, I literally thought to myself, if if I finish this book and he has yet to say her name, I will be so angry. <laughs> I know. <laughs> 
so like that's that's the extent to which his religion dictates his life. Mm-hmm. What's fascinating is that as as Mirak's character grows and as the book progresses, his views on his religion start to change. He starts out with this idea that his religion is stagnant, that there's no interpretation, there's there's no wiggle room, it's black and white, you mm-hmm. know. And as the book progresses, he starts to see it in more of shades of gray. You know, like there's a woman. Her name is Exem. I don't, it's X-Z-E-M. I pronounce it Zem. The X is silent. We can't pronounce these (laughs) names. Who cares? (laughs) Exem, I'm going to say. Okay. This poor, tragic woman who has undergone tremendous, tremendous suffering. She is worried about her soul because she was basically forced into prostitution. And she asks him if, if she has any hope of salvation. And Mira thinks that, you know, back in the day, he would have thought, no, you're fucked. Mm-hmm. And it would have been like a cold, callous, whatever. But now he's like, you know what? No, I'm the word of God here. Yeah, you do have the right to reenter society and, and redeem yourself. Mm-hmm. And she does. She gets a job and like a legitimate job that doesn't make her feel degraded. And she has like a happy life. And a and a, like a husband who's like a nice man oh, who yeah. treats her well. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because Mirak changes his views on his religion. Partially thanks to Amber. Mirak is that guy who his interpretation of that text is literal, which is crazy. <laughs> Um, And she shows him, you know, your interpretation of that text does not have to be literal. There could be wiggle room metaphors, whatever. Yeah. Like, actually, in fact, she tells him that he isn't interpreting it literally in that instance. Mia Rock takes his religion so seriously that when he sees Amber wielding a blade so she can skin an animal she's killed with a stick, by the way, he's he is like... Sorry, Amber, I have to kill you now because Mm -hmm. you just broke the law and this is how it works. And he's upset about it, Mm -hmm. but he's he's not he's still going to do it because that's how serious this is to him. And she says, well, is there room for interpretation? And he says, no, it's the word of God. It says that no man shall wield a blade. And she says, but I'm not a man. I'm Mm -hmm. a woman. And then he's like, oh, snap. Mm -hmm. You know, she she schooled me. Yeah. And he he. He saw, he's like, oh, okay, I don't have to kill you now because yeah. you're a woman. More and, of a loophole than anything else. But yeah, but at the same time, from then on, it he teaches her how to fight. Yeah, <laughs> and it completely opens up the door to him kind of thinking of his religion less as this, like, strict, rigid thing that he mm-hmm. that everyone must adhere to and... If you do something wrong once, you're fucked. Mm-hmm. Like, into being this compassionate... Personal thing. Yeah. Because I'm not religious at all. (laughs) Yeah, me neither. But I think that religion is a personal thing. Absolutely. And I think that where it becomes a problem is when it becomes institutionalized, when you have these figures of authority telling people how to live their lives. Based on their personal religion. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I think religion really has to stay personal. And Mirak's religion sure does get tested. I just think it's really interesting how um, it also does this thing. And we talked about this a little bit before I was done with the book. But that the book doesn't come down on the side of being for or against religion. Yeah. And it ends that way. And I think mm-hmm. it's, like, really powerful the way it ends. And we discussed this. It, it ends on a really hopeful note. It's a surprisingly and relievingly happy ending. 
So let's talk about that ending. Let's talk about that ending, Rachel. You said that you guessed it. Well, I mean, not all of the details, but, like, you don't buy into his religion. You don't, you're always, like, with Amber, like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? For sure. I didn't think, like, all that stuff that he believed was real, but I certainly thought that the prophet and his brunts thought that it was real. I wasn't expecting it to be six, like, teenage dudes. Because that's the emotional climax, where Mirak finally gets to Jimatez, this religious city, and he sees a recording of these six dudes who are like, hey, so we formed this religion to save our species. And it was like perfectly fabricated to deal specifically with all these issues that were brought on by this plague. Which is like really fucking clever. Yeah. Holy shit. But also like, did you see that coming? Like the fact that they did it because of the disease? Okay, that's what I saw coming. When that, the part that maybe fucked me up the most, which was the mummified corpses raping each other to death, That's when Amber realizes this is something that seems like it had to have been brought on by some sort of like plague, some sort of sickness. And she realizes they're all still sick. Mirak is sick. The Dumak have this trait in their culture that you think is just a A species thing. Yeah, where their, their throat kind of flares yellow when they get like angry. And you think it's just like a thing that happens to their species. It's not. That's the sickness mm-hmm. <laughs> happening. So from there, maybe because that was the part that fucked me up so much, that's why I thought that the logical conclusion for the society to continue after the fall, after Gon's wrath, mm-hmm. and I really wondered why that or how that happened, like the entire time, from the time you learn that the ancients were a thing. So I think I just put that together with the other part that he's sick and their culture their religion is the way that it is and it's so strict their society that that seems like the kind of thing that maybe was fabricated to keep people in line everything slots together so fucking perfectly that it is astonishing Mm -hmm. so like even though i wasn't surprised by this like twist thing i was like holy shit arlie smith so obviously i didn't think about it that much and i don't know that i thought specifically about the specific prophets because i just don't think that i like gave enough thought to them to really think of them yeah but that's why i wasn't surprised by that i was like floored (laughs) you know the part that really got me and gets mirak the most i think is when he finds out his cast this i didn't call this got me too (laughs) yeah his cast the warrior cast his position in life the highest ranking position the shulek they're just the sickest that's that was their solution you know this group of people who's for some reason their genes just make them more prone to this sickness than other people they said okay let's let's just we'll let them live out their urges but we'll also teach them to control them yeah you know yeah because the shuleks are like their training is rigorous yeah and it starts from like age five or something yeah and they they are taught the word of God and, and, and they have to pray and train day in and day out. And learn how when they feel these rages overcoming them, learn how to calm themselves down unless it's a situation that warrants it, like the trials, mm-hmm. which is like brilliant. Yeah. Because it explains everything. 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 And it's so fucked up because like, you know, 
especially Mirok, but the Shulek, they think what is happening to them is like the holy fires of Shul and that it's a sacred thing. And Mirok has always felt that. It's probably why he feels so close to God. And then he has to come to terms with the fact that that's not what it is. And all the, the, the men he killed in these trials wasn't just God's will. It was him just murdering people. And I, I really, that was a, such a devastating part Mm -hmm. but i really appreciated that he felt that oh yeah because i felt i feel like that's like huge character growth oh yeah for sure and it also really indicates that mirak isn't a monster yeah this is just his society this is just society's philosophy Mm -hmm. when he soaks everything in completely he's fucking horrified Mm -hmm. by himself and by his people and and he's like broken yeah he's so broken and remarkably it's amber who comes up to him and helps him regain some of his lost faith. Yeah, Amber, who has been, like, kind of making, poking fun of him the whole time yeah. that they've been together about, like, oh, you zealot, you, you know, you mm-hmm. talking God, whatever. Like, she kind of restores his faith in God after this, like, shattering experience. Yeah. Yeah. She te- She kind of teaches him how to continue to have faith in God while still coming to terms with this reality. Yeah. I mean, like Jen and I have already said that we are not religious people, Mm -hmm. but it still resonated with us. Totally. You know, (laughs) that's how powerful this is. It was so powerful. Oh my God. This fucking book. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the title of the book. So it's called The Last Hour of Gone. Mm -hmm. Gone, of course, in the Dumaki language, It means the earth, the world. Mm -hmm. But also the literal earth, like the ground. Yeah. Um, It also means like hell. Mm -hmm. And it also, it's like the devil. So after this emotional climax, some more really tragic stuff happens. And when that gets resolved, (laughs) the happy ending starts. (laughs) Because for the first time in the book, things start to look up. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's so few pages left, you know it's not going to take another turn. Yeah. (laughs) God, I hope to God it doesn't take another turn. Yeah. So, Mirak, having had this crisis of faith and having come to terms with it, decides that he's going to use his position of authority. Because just because he's changed his belief system Mm -hmm. and he's learned the truth doesn't mean anyone else has. Yeah. No one else knows in the entire world other Mm -hmm. than... This, the very few who make it to Zimatez. And this the city also, like, crumbles anyway. Yeah. So, like, no one else is ever really going to know the truth unless Mirak tells them. Mm-hmm. And he decides that he's going to use his power for good and he's going to literally rewrite the word of God to make it more accepting and to, to reform it and start a new era of, like, peace and, like, chillness. Yeah. <laughs> A new era of peace and chillness. <laughs> Good. I like that. However, consider this. Let's talk about Amber's vaccine and how it prevents her from having a disease. Mm-hmm. The book ends with her pregnant. Mm-hmm. So, like, I took that to mean that her child wouldn't be capable of having this disease that Mirak and the other Dumak have. Mm-hmm. I kind of always thought that that's kind of what the title is about. Like, yeah. they're, she's starting a new generation of Dumak who won't have this disease anymore, who won't have the wrath of God, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. 
Which is like, whoa. Yeah, I know. Um, (laughs) And it's kind of fucking crazy genius. I know. You don't give a lot of thought to the vaccine that they got until, you know, it's brought up again. Yeah. And it has all these implications and then more implications. And this book is like Chekhov's gun. Over and over and over and over again. Yeah, like every detail that you see, just fucking don't, don't dismiss it, you know? Yeah. Don't you think like almost everything comes back around somehow? Yeah, I can't think of anything that doesn't. <laughs> fucking cra- this book is fucking crazy. I, having written a book, I don't know how she did this. <laughs> I know. I don't remember what I was going to say about the ending, but I do have this question for mm-hmm. you. Explain to me the fishhook tree and the helicopter. There are moments in the book where it's like, okay, how did that happen? Mm-hmm. Like when Amber was captured by this by this group of raiders and she's being held captive and she spends all day working on fishing nets and sewing fishing hooks into nets. Mm -hmm. And like Mirok, when he's looking for her, sees a fucking tree that looks like a fish hook. And he's like, why do I think that? Like, why do I give a shit about fish hooks? It's like, Mm -hmm. and the book doesn't answer the question about whether or not she is real. But I just Mm -hmm. think it's really fascinating and powerful that there are these moments that cannot be explained. And it's like, weird it's weird i know it's great though it's great it it, i get chills whenever i think about those moments where like god comes to one of the characters those Mm. scenes are some of the most awe-inspiring like they really are oh my god how does she write like that cool you know i don't know i want this to be live action so people more people can experience me too but i don't trust anybody to do it right i know (laughs) (laughs) but for real like i i feel like this is a story that more people need to experience yeah and like if arlie smith is listening hi arlie smith we love you i'm obsessed with you a little bit i just want you to know that all of your books are like this for me (laughs) like all of them so anyway there's so much to say about this book there's almost too much to say there is too much to say because we have been recording for over two hours well that one was a doozy to edit yeah I do not envy you (laughs) yeah we barely scratched the surface to be honest I really hope that if you haven't read the book well, first of all, shame on you. We spoiled everything. <laughs> but also, um, I hope you will check it out. It's still worth reading, even if we've spoiled everything. It's definitely, like, a journey. Mm-hmm. And it's a really fascinating and fulfilling one. Mm-hmm. Once again, be sure to uh, check out all of Arlie Smith's books on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Also, she has a blog. And you get some kind of behind the scenes stuff with her with like her writing and everything and it's it, it's very interesting she's as amazing a writer on her blog as she is in her books and she's so like cool and interesting and mm-hmm. yeah we love her a lot yeah hi early smooth hi <laughs> we know you're listening so we have some <laughs> no, questions no, for no, you know no. <laughs> so it's oh god rachel it's good to be back it is it's, oh, I feel, I feel rusty. It's just got to shake off the dust. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to, you know, see more of us and keep up to date with us and our, all of our future episodes, you can find us on Twitter. We're at Optiat. That's O-P-T-I-O-T. And we're on Instagram at Optiat Pod. You can also find us on our website. One person's trash is our treasure. <laughs> see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye.
I'm laughing because I'm trying to come up with a um like a um, a comparison about what Jimitens is. Mm-hmm. Mecca. And, yeah, basically Mecca. But yeah. I, I was I was gonna say, and I couldn't think of the words. So I was gonna ask you, where does the Pope live? They see he, they see him wearing his um, chastity belt basically. They don't know what's under there. <laughs> no, I was thinking of the part that you like died laughing <laughs> where you first learned his wet dream. Yeah, where you first learned that Mirog's lizard penis <laughs> is retractable. <laughs> Think of that scene in The Shape of Water. When yeah. when she's tr- when she's uh, describing to when Eliza is uh, trying to describe to, to Octavia yeah. Spencer who, how his penis works, yeah, that is Mirak's penis, as as vividly described by Mirak, yes, and later Amber. <laughs> because of oh my god, how obsessed were you with the tiny little baby lizards? Oh my god, I love that. I was obsessed, <laughs> <laughs> baby lizards. That's interesting. I don't think I knew that about you. Yeah. We barely know each other at all. I know. What have these last 14 <laughs> years been? <laughs> yeah, remember that book where Sexy Jesus backhands the woman for not having an orgasm during his forced sexual encounter with her? I do. And I love that you're saying this without context yeah. to our listeners. <laughs> Forever ago, I wrote to Arlie Smith on her blog to ask her a couple of questions to rant at her and say how much i loved her but then to ask her a couple of questions this is one of my favorite things ever by the way so i i said you inspired me to write my first book and i asked her if she would be doing an audiobook eventually of any of her books and i asked her about some pronunciations so here's what she said um thank you so much for your kind words and support i'm thrilled to be credited as one of your inspirations Nope, no plans to release audiobooks. Not only do I have no idea how to even do something like that as a self-published author, I can only imagine it would be a nightmare for the voice actors to have to struggle through the names and works like <laughs> Olivia are gone. As for the proper pronunciation of Sauk, which is S-A-O-Q, it's one of the animals on the planet. Remember that you first need a bifurcated trachea and a resonance chamber, and then that it's a tonal language, so how you say it changes its entire meaning. As a human, the closest you can come is to pronounce sow to rhyme with cow, and then awk to rhyme with hawk, then blend it together into one syllable. Sock. <laughs> Hope that helps. <laughs> That's the end of it. Her answer was basically just, you can't. <laughs> yeah, it, which was like the most delightful response she possibly could have given me. Amazing. I love it. Like the highlight of any interaction I've ever had with an author. 